Start small and build up alongside your customers. Do not disappear for nine months to a year building some platform that's going to change the world. Go change the world in a series of small steps. Hello, welcome to Cloud Unplugged. This is season two, episode 11. I am here with Brian Ross. Brian, do you want to introduce yourself and a bit of your background? Yeah, sure. Thank you so much for having me on, first of all. So hello, everyone. My name is Brian Ross. I am a technologist working in Edinburgh, Scotland. I've got a new role recently at VMware Tanzu, where I'm a, an exec advisor, working with other businesses to help them get value from IT. Previous to that, I used to work at Sky Media for a long, long time, building out platforms and VMs, containers, PaaS, all that kind of good stuff. So I've been out there. I've got the scars and the gray hairs to prove that I know some of what I'm talking about. So I'm looking forward to a conversation today. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, it's awesome to have you on as well. And I think what we're going to talk about today is a little bit of the industry trends that are going on. Gartner, obviously, 2023 trends has kind of been announced. Some of these things may or may not be new to some people. I think one of them was the platform engineering trend. I guess it would be good to kind of pick on some of these things and give a bit of opinions on whether we think they're good things, bad things, you know, whether they're going to help businesses or not. So I don't know if you want to kind of kick off from your perspective on what you think about this platform engineering trend that by 2026, 80% of businesses maybe forcibly have to go into platform engineering because technology is too complicated to do it any other way. Is how I've kind of slightly interpreted it and therefore you need to do something and that's called platform engineering. But I don't know how you're thinking about it. Well, you know, I think, first of all, it must be exhausting for people not in IT. In fact, even people in IT, the number of new terms we come up with to to try and explain how we're definitely going to do it better this time, we promise. So I'm somewhat biased in that I think I've been doing platform engineering for the best part of 10 years. And that's probably due to my background. I've always been in kind of managed services and kind of customer facing roles. So I think Platform engineering for me is more a response to how large enterprises have kind of failed to adopt agile and DevOps necessary. Like I think we've got the job titles, but I'm not necessarily convinced that we managed to get all of the culture baked in there. So I think it's, it's difficult at scale. So I think that platform engineering and linked to that platform as a product are kind of topics that enterprises are talking about as a way to achieve the kind of values and goals we were doing in that cloudy thing that we were all tied up in a couple of years ago. And do you think then the reason for it is because the traditional models, which most organizations I've seen adopt, which was like a bit more project autonomy, we're going to give you a resource, a DevOps resource, they're going to sit with your team, you know, we're going to sprint plan, we're going to do all this, but you've got that times however many teams all kind of independently going about things. And then times that by, say, the level of different technology choices that you could make to achieve the same outcome. And then suddenly you're like, oh, why have I got 15 of the same types of products across my organization? <laughs> like, What's actually going on? And do you think that's caused it where people are like, this isn't what I thought DevOps was? Or do you think it's been something else? I think you're right on both counts. I'd also throw in public cloud into that too, in that we've gone through a period where all of a sudden, we were no longer constrained by our operations team. So we could have any infrastructure we wanted anywhere, loads of services, this this full all-you-can-eat buffet of IT capability. 
And as you say, I think independent teams made different choices. And then we reflect back, we're beginning to question why our IT bills are so high, why we've got maybe 10, 20, 100 different DevOps teams doing similar activities, but seemingly in completely different ways with different tooling. So yeah, I think for me, the, the big one is DevOps is fantastic as a culture. Let's bring people together so we can make better choices together. And that's really successful, particularly in smaller businesses. I think when enterprises tried to scale that out, like it certainly worked. You know, if you localize that knowledge, you can achieve lots of things and you shift left, and you do everything in dev rather than wait until it's thrown over the fence and prod. I think those are all fantastic. But scale it out to 150 teams and just the cost alone is going to be high. So I think if we think about platform engineering, it's maybe worthwhile defining some of that. And I'll be honest, I've spent the last couple of weeks chatting with some friends in VMware trying to work out exactly what platform engineering really is. And I don't think we're quite there yet. The movement's still kind of taken off. But it's all about if you have a hosting platform of some description that you've built and it's all designed around consumption and empowering developer experience so that you can get developers getting to production faster, getting rid of some of the operational treacle that we all seem to build up, and generally being able to be effective and be impactful faster. So I think this also ties back into some of the other problems we've had in the industry recently around skills gap and trying to retain good people, is that we've almost kind of come full circle. We've, we started off with developers not being able to get anything into production because there was too many processes. And we took a whole bunch of those processes out and let them run loose with a credit card on Amazon or Google. And now we're trying to tail that back and say, well, how do we make you impactful, but in a way that still kind of matches the corporate standards and we still have some control over expense and we still have some means of carrying on if you leave the company and that sort of thing. So there's quite a lot in that one topic. But yeah, I certainly think it's been a response to just trying to practice agile DevOps SRE in a more generalistic bigger company type way yeah and do you think because i have an opinion of it as well a little bit on i think you're right the agile and devops movement i think was great for like innovative thinking because kind of like the boundaries were broken down at the same time i think it also allowed for a lot of madness to probably ensue which is like some of that might have turned into really good high values outcomes but at the same time if like in two years or a year later, you're like, okay, well, I need to go and get another product because I've no idea about the risk of what's just happened. Like I know we're live, but like, I don't really know what that means exactly to operational risk of what's just been done. And like I say, talent moving around and all these other things. My only concern a little bit with the trend, like with anything is if you're doing platform engineering, like you're saying, defining it, our company's gonna have a clear enough vision for themselves internally about what that actually truly means to their business and are they equipped internally to represent what outcome they're striving for because it could end up a bit like anything where it becomes just another technology play and not really driving business outcomes and you kind of just go around in circles but just in different ways around the mess don't know what your views are but so i think that's a really important thing so as you'd guess with working VMware Tanzu, I spend a lot of time going out and talking to people about their container platforms and Kubernetes and, and all that kind of good stuff. It's always really interesting, though, is that my opinion is if you're using Kubernetes, that's great. Why 
are you using it? What are you looking to get out of it? Likewise, if a customer says, we're not interested in Kubernetes, that's also great. But why? Why are you not using it? Because there may be other industries that are. So I think bringing it back to business value is always the most important thing. Otherwise, it is just a technology play. Um, it's interesting what you're saying about you know agile adoption and enterprise. I think that we gave it a really good shot, but in many ways, the fundamentals of business haven't changed in a lot of the big organizations that I'm working with. So when we talk about how things are funded, they are still predominantly a project mindset. We're going to achieve this business goal. We're going to put this amount of money behind it. We expect that project to finish by this date. Everybody needs to work on that critical path. And I think what we did then is we then iterated in little loops to deliver that product and in the way that was the best way. But the financing model was still the same. It means at the end of that project, somebody is given the keys to then look after that platform, that product, the tools, the infrastructure. I think with platform engineering, what we're trying to say is we need to address the underlying business model and saying, rather than investing in those large kind of monolithic projects, we kind of want to invest earlier in the cycle for a platform that will deliver capabilities that we'll use later. And that's, I think that's a really difficult sell for many big organizations because it is a mind shift in how they plan their annual finances, right? Like all of a sudden you're talking about building something that you're not planning to use straight away and in itself does not deliver direct business value. But when you come to deliver 10 projects that all need something very similar, they can whiz right through straight to production and you've got the time to market benefits that you're just not going to see in a kind of serial project delivery type way. Does that add up with what you've seen as well or is it? Yeah, I think you're pretty much spot on. I do think there is legitimate rationale probably behind why that happens. And that is like probably very, gets quite into like the capitalist mindset of like share prices and, you know, all these other things that it's very hard to like control because systemically you're in a system at that point. It's like, how much can you influence? Because, you know, how much are we going to invest? What's the bottom line? How do we give assurances back to shareholders in the end? You know, it all rolls up into something. Everything is rolling up into something somewhere. So I think sometimes that can be quite hard for enterprises where that is a reality versus a smaller company where it probably isn't. And you're all about the go to market. How I'm going to. So I can kind of see why that institution, the system that you're kind of in ripples down. And then actually how you're supposed to deliver then becomes a bit more constrained. But. I think there is still manoeuvring doing it well. It's interesting that you said about, you know, not necessarily because of what you've got to do, because you're basically designing for some element of scale. So therefore the results might not be yielded. What would you suggest for de-risking though? Because I guess what you wouldn't want is then 10 projects to start and then none of them can go live. Is the other like is the other extreme end result of what you've built, right? And they're like, oh yes, yeah, sorry about that. Yeah. So, what would you be advising there, just so you didn't necessarily hit that problem later? So, I think the the sad truth is, I've worked with a number of large organisations that have had exactly that problem, in that the infrastructure team has gone away and built a platform for developers, and it's going to be magnificent. And they're a little disappointed that once they've built it, developers refuse to use it. And of course, my first question is always, well, who did you involve in the design process? Like surely the developers, you were building it for them. So 
you ask them what they wanted, right? And then there's usually some blank faces in a, no, no, we know what they need. You know, that's the first mistake. So as always, I'm strongly of the opinion that most of our IT problems were solved years ago, or the new ones are relatively easy to solve. The bits where I think we need to really work on, Agile and DevOps and DevSecOps and now platform engineering is still the same, it's the people, it's communication. It's trying to work together and getting an organization pulling in the same direction. So I would say that if you're thinking about building anything for someone else, the first thing to do is involve them in that process. I think as well, you need to partner with them. So in my previous role, it was really important whenever we were trying to build some new functionality, we would try and find an internal customer that was looking for that. And then that meant that we delivered together. So it kept us honest, which I think is important in IT as well, to make sure we actually get it done. You know, we're not building this Rolls Royce thing. What we kind of need is a go-kart that we can then add bits onto, right? At the end of it, it means as well that you don't have to go market yourself. The customer that you've just done a great job for is going to help you in that process. And the other thing I think I've found as well is that measurement of your success is really important. So reporting back to your finance teams in the business saying, here's why we've been successful in what we're doing. Here's the time we've saved this project in rollout. And it kind of matches up to the investment we've made. And the more you can get that customer to do that on your behalf, the better, right? It's really interesting. Once one developer team talks about how quickly they were able to do something because the developers didn't have to worry about infrastructure, all of a sudden other developer teams go, wait a minute, why, why are we why are we building out infrastructure on Amazon? We, we shouldn't have to do that. And they're absolutely right. They shouldn't have to do that. So um, yeah, good news travels fast. You just need to make sure you're successful because bad news travels faster. So uh, if you are building it, you need to involve people without doubt. Yeah, true. And what about the operational end state? Because this is how I've seen as well is you'll always be a hero at the beginning, right? When You've got new projects starting and everyone wants to get going and you're enabling, you're giving them environments, you know, that can get access to things, they're deploying things. And the constraints obviously are less because it's about speed. You're at that tipping point of agility. So obviously at that time, agility is seen as like the hero and then any other kind of more boring non-functional requirements that don't really seem to benefit anything obviously or tangibly until they're really needed, like monitoring and logging becomes very important when you need it. And then observability in general, obviously, and thinking about all those other things and security, which also can be a bit of a, for most people, quite contentious and a bit of a red, feels like red tape. But then where you end up as you're iterating can always sometimes not end up in a great place either because you could have built a bit of a Frankenstein. You didn't know you were building Frankenstein, right? You didn't realize like an arm was attached to the ear and that the year was on the thing because you know you weren't thinking about it as a whole thing at the end but as you zoomed out you're like oh wow yeah i did put an arm on the head and you know the head's kind of upside down you know a little bit like that but you don't really think like that at the time so i have definitely seen that a lot but it's a very difficult thing to also know that that's what's going to happen because you can't see into the future necessarily to know where you're going to end up and also how much it's going to cost to operate yeah. So I wish I had you before VMware Explore in Europe because the conference talk that I did was really around the subject. It's kind of awkward turning up to a technical conference and then not talking about anything to do with technology. 
But it was exactly this. It's about when you're building a platform, how do you do that? And what are the stages that you're going to go through as you build it? So I talk a lot about platform as a product. So trying to develop something on an ongoing basis. So first get it in your head that you're you're never going to be finished. There will be no end state, so to speak. It'll be a constant improvement of what you've done. I think that it's really important to manage your product. So although you're building it on behalf of developers or whatever customer you've got, it's your job to kind of curate those requirements and make sure you build a product which will solve a problem for the wider market. If you listen to every requirement that you get in and implement that very thing, you might be really popular and it might be really quick to do as well and really pleasing from an internal perspective because someone asked for something, you built it, and now they're really happy. But yeah, fast forward a year or two years, and you'll end up with this patchwork quilt of functionality that doesn't quite mesh. And we all recognize in our day-to-day life, right? If we see a product that's just been put together badly, like the usability goes really way down, and we don't like it anymore. And as you say, the early days of you're building this new thing and it's super exciting, you're getting things done quickly, you're solving challenges, it feels great. And then all of a sudden, you kind of come to a hump where the platform that you built is now beginning to creak a little bit and you might need to spend some time doing some back-end improvements. Or it may be that the problems that you're trying to solve are getting harder because you had all that low-hanging fruit to begin with, but now it's getting harder to solve. So I think it's really important to manage the backlog of work that you've got coming in and think about how much time you're going to spend on new features, bug fixes and improvements to existing features, and back-end features that nobody is going to appreciate until six months, nine months' time. And ideally, it'll be invisible by that point, right? They won't have seen that improvement. I have certainly had moments where I've had the engineering team kind of come to me and say, you know, Brian, we're in trouble, we're falling behind, we need to do X, Y, and Z. And we've had a week of what we call kind of let the world burn. And my job, if you like, as the product manager was to to hold back the flow from project managers, developers, support, all of those things, just to give the team time to work on that back end and make the improvements they need. Because I think it's really important, again, for them as well, not to burn out, that they can spend time doing things that they see as important. If you're just constantly adding more cherries on top of the cake, it's not necessarily a good thing, right? No, it's not. It reminds me of like a, when you're just saying holding back everybody, like a Simpsons episode of people with the torches. You know what I mean? Like all running towards the team, <laughs> like get them. And the publicity is running away and having to hide. But um, in terms of when you're doing this, then this is a bit of a complex question. It's a bit off the cuff, to be fair. But if you're trying to budget for a platform, how would you set a budget according to say projects like would you work out the overall budget as a percentile of the project's overall spend to say right okay well that's like a tax you know because i guess in some ways if that pot of money isn't constrained you know from the beginning then how you're going to innovate is also unconstrained and that might leave you to like endless resources or endless technology decisions, you know, and endless this and endless that, because there's no constraint at all. And something has to constrain people to then define what you can and can't do. The parameters have to be set clear. Otherwise, it's just a bit of an open-ended book. So I don't know if you have advice on how you might work that out or not. I don't know if you've given it any thought. Well, 
the spoiler alert, I think, is that there's no one answer fits all. However, I think you've hit on a really important part around the finance. So the big thing is that if you are developing something of value, then it should have a value. And if you're working with a finance team to help fund that platform, then you need to have a system there that they can see value coming back in. So I think having either a cost model or a recharge model or even just a showback model is really important. Various ways you can do it. I think you need to understand the mechanics of the finance in your company, which is very boring, but it's very much worth investing in. So if you're a capital company where you have CapEx money, but OPEX is difficult to find, then it's probably best working with what you've got. So you previously had these projects that got CapEx, and then they spent CapEx on servers and engineer time to build something. Great. Work with those projects to get some of their money and use that to fund improvements to your platform. The net result is still the same. The project gets delivered, but it's the way that it got delivered is slightly different. You've helped enhance the platform rather than just build a one-off bespoke solution. Or as you say, if you've got enough projects coming through, perhaps you've been at this for a little while and now you've got the backing. Well, that's great. Maybe rather than just, if you like, billing on those big projects that are coming, you could apply a tax across all projects. And that might be 10, it might be 20%, whatever it is, whatever we think the infrastructure cost should be. Or it may be that you can have a more elaborate system whereby you have a pay-per-use, but that would mostly be in an organization that is OPEX-led. Now you're talking about billing back to a business unit, and, and they'll just have that like their, their staffing cost, or their public cloud cost, or their software subscription costs. It's just another part. But it needs you need to work with the constraints within your business. But I would say, I think my biggest warning to anyone building infrastructure out there is that unless you are part of the kind of value chain, you know, if you're just a cost center, then IT is just a line on a spreadsheet that needs to be reduced at some stage. And that's really, no one sees a value in the service that you're delivering. But if you're able to be part of the projects on a direct line kind of matter, you know, like a steel thread between the revenue that was generated by the project and the cost of the IT to implement it, that's a much better place to be because now you can talk about the value of what you did, not in terms of gigabytes per pound or anything like that, but instead, no, no, this platform now supports three, five, 10 million pounds worth of revenue every year. That's why it's really important that we have the right staff. It's why we have to make sure we've got new equipment. It's why we should continuously improve it. You know, I think that you need to be part of the value chain, not part of the cost. If it is just cost that you are being measured on, only going to stretch you in one direction. And that's not a good place to be. Unfortunately, that's the reality for, I would say, 80% of the enterprises that I talk to, is that IT is a central cost that is budgeted for, and that's not great. It doesn't drive the right behaviors internally, because you're always looking to cut corners to save money doesn't drive the right behaviors with developers or project teams because they just want what they want faster, but you don't have any money to do it faster. And they're not interested in saving money. And in fact, if an asset is harder to get hold of, like a server, a VM, a container, people are more likely to hoard them. And then you end up with shadow IT, black markets of VMs. You know, I've lived through all of those things of well, no, it takes us too long to get a VM. So why don't we just clean up these old ones and reuse them? You know, guaranteed <laughs> bad things happen. 
I think that's a really smart idea, actually, switching the context to like how much revenue you've supported for generations, a much better optic than just how much you've cost. The thing I have seen is when people start, especially with platform engineering, if it's a project, some projects have zero context to costs, right? So like hosting costs or cloud costs or any costs, right? In general, other than like people costs. So what they anchor is like T&M, you know, I know roughly like what I've resourced. It's very tangible. Whereas there's no real expectation. So what you do see is because they haven't got a comparison, as in they've never baselined anything before, then any cost to them is quite a shock. So they'll be like, sorry, what? You know, when they start to get the recharge or the bill and all these other things. And then some other people will be like, but surely, and I can go on the internet and maybe there's like a Heroku thing or maybe there's like some other thing. And that can drive shadow IT. It's just like, this is so much cheaper. Like, why are we just not using this? And it's like no context for how much it might cost in prod or, you know, the security implications or any of those things, because obviously that's not their domain. All they're looking at is a like for like, you know, you host, they host this price, that price, right? So they just kind of look at it in real simple terms. So it can be hard to get buy-in if you don't set expectations first on the value and then you charge later and there's no context to it. That can also backfire. I've witnessed that a fair chunk, you know, behaviorally, internally. Like I was lucky. I, I was involved in helping build a small company up from the ground and I learned some really important lessons about money during that time. And no matter how complicated the finance of anything is, there is still a really simple equation that you should always apply to what you're doing. And that's money in and money out, right? If you have like a project that you're going to deliver, how can that not have an IT cost associated with it? Because you're saying one of two things. Either you're just going to have to make do with what you've got, which is terrible, right? Because that means that you're going to restrict the revenue that your business can generate, or you're saying that there is no limit to how much IT. Like I heard a quote a while ago from a large customer that IT shouldn't constrain the business. And on face value, you're like, well, absolutely. Apart from the business is already constrained in many other ways, like the number of people that they have on the project, the software that they buy to facilitate the project the other services that they're purchasing in order to make that success. It might be the marketing spend, et cetera. Why would IT spend not be part of that project's accountability? Like when they're putting their business case together, why would IT spend not be included there? That seems really weird for me, because again, it's the back of this equation, money in, money out, show me all the costs. And I think historically it's because IT weren't really able to tell you how much it cost. But I think in this day and age of public cloud, of platform engineering, we should know how much it costs to deliver what we do, and we should be able to articulate why it costs that much or that value. Bearing in mind, I am still willing to retire at any stage when a couple of things happen. One of those things is I meet a customer that spends less money than they planned to in public cloud. And I think that you know whenever we estimate the cost of doing something, we tend to, to make it too low. I think that we sell internal IT too short sometimes. Like I know sometimes it'd be slow and cumbersome, but if we could improve those processes, I think we could make IT a really, really valuable part of the business. Because whether we like it or not, I think most businesses now are digital first because our client base are digital natives. They don't really know any other way to operate. Yeah, that's true. It's funny because I was at a round table 
and we were talking about there was a some people were saying that inside their customers because the customers have gone into cloud and then there's like been a recognition of the cost implications that now they're like oh my god like we should have stayed on prem which i kind of understand but at the same time like the things you were just saying even when you buy a car you don't really know the fuel costs like it's not like you're like right i reckon it's going to cost me like some things are just so hard to equate but at the same time you're not going to say right horse and car this is ridiculous i'm going back to horse and car i think we all should it's kind of like an obvious thing it's like you don't behave like that but it's kind of strange when it gets to technology people for some reason can like revert back to old behaviors and be like better the devil you know but it's like yeah but you've also got to innovate and if you're doing that somebody or the majority definitely isn't and the probability of them succeeding is probably higher and it might just be that you just need to find the right people to manage that problem or look at alternative ways of managing the problem at least rather than like maybe reverting backwards and kind of running back but yeah 100%. I've never felt so old in IT than when public cloud was coming about. First of all, public cloud is an amazing feat. And also as well, we should all be thankful for it because it made IT interesting and sexy again. No one really paid attention to IT before public cloud, but now we're back in the front seat. So I think we've got a lot to thank for there. I would say, though, that I feel like an old man shouting into the clouds for quite some time because it's been businesses moving everything to public cloud and claiming that they're going to save money. And again, I'm it doesn't always make sense to me. Like the money in, money out part. I'm like, but we're a CapEx company. How is that going to work? That's going to affect our bottom line. Likewise, yes, I've met other companies as well, which are now, well, it was too high, so we're moving everything back. There was some good things there, right? I think the challenge that I've seen a lot of time is that people adopted public cloud and expected it to be a silver bullet to their operational, organizational, and cultural problems. They thought if they did public cloud, then they would be DevOps and Groovy. And it just didn't happen out of the box. In many times, what I've seen is, say there was a process to get from dev to prod, public cloud empowered people to just go ahead and build things themselves. And what they ended up doing was, first of all, removing some people out of the process. So we don't need to speak to the network team or the storage team anymore. We've just got instant access to those primitives. That's phenomenal. But it also meant that some things like you mentioned, like security, software compliance, audit, those steps got missed as well. So some of that velocity that we got from public cloud was not as improving, it was as avoiding. And I think that's where we began to go wrong. Now we look back and we go, oh my God, we don't have any architecture. We've got 15 different tools for logging. We're not even sure which SaaS companies we're using anymore, but we're pretty sure our data is somewhere. We've had an S3 bucket being exposed and now our customer data is out there. That should never have happened. Those are all problems that can happen when we skip steps. I think now with platform engineering saying, look, public cloud's not evil, private cloud's not evil, process improvement is where we should all sit. So we want to do all the checks and balances. We want to see things like compliance and security be part of our feature set, not a gate to be crossed. And we still want that to happen quickly. Like the example I always talk about with things like that is mobile banking. Like two-factor authentication can sometimes be a pain. There's certain apps that will make you blink and move your phone further away or closer or text messages. But would you use a mobile banking app that didn't have two-factor authentication? Right. So you need to be able to trust the things that you've got. And I think in this day and age now, trust in applications is becoming more and more important for any industry because the risk of cyber attack identity theft, data loss is just too big. So I think we need to bake all those things in 
not throw the baby out with the bathwater and use a mixture of public cloud, private cloud, SaaS, PaaS, all of the things where it makes business sense. Fundamentally, bring it back into that business case. Let's talk about the best way of delivering it, not just the way we know or what didn't work last time. So if you're then thinking about the platform engineering team, so let me, let me create a bit of a scenario, I suppose. So if you're an enterprise, the thing that I find very interesting and also just quite nice in the industry at the moment, I'm sure there'll be enterprises that will hate me saying this, but the cloud has created a level playing field, right? So I could have X number of credits and I not even have very much money. Like generally, I might only have like 100K seed investment or something. I could probably deliver on some service pretty radically fast and work with the end users pretty quickly and disrupt a market with not huge cost implications. And also, I don't have the baggage of an enterprise either, right? So it's like, I don't have to deal with bureaucracy. I'm not institutionalized. I don't have to worry about, you know, your processes and all the other things. So you kind of have that track that's going on in the markets and the markets are getting disrupted because of that. And the clouds had a lot to do with that. And I think that gets overlooked by accident. People just think markets are just disrupting. And it's like, well, they're disrupting more because of the accessibility of being able to deliver quickly on something. But then you're an enterprise and you're not that. So meanwhile, you're kind of like plodding along. Do you know what I mean? And I, I kind of imagine I see, and this you can challenge me if you don't agree with but the platform engineering teams should really not to sacrifice in any of the security or anything else, but you're in an enterprise, so all those things matter. And they matter to any company anyway. So it's not that you're going to discredit them just because you're a startup. They're all important because it's customer data and customer, you know, so you could still be fined, et cetera. But the job of the platform engineering team is to make that accessibility as disruptive for that business as much as any other you know, then you've kind of got the ambition of the goal, but you're there to do it in a way that is equally as cheap in some ways because you don't want it to cost more with more people. People take time to hire anyway, so that isn't fast. You know, you've got to go and hire 15 people. To, that's not a fast execution plan, right? So there is elements of like a process of elimination for your strategy that you've probably got to work through where the market won't care necessarily about your business right? It just the consumers in control in the end. And so you've kind of got to recognize that. And if you're not meeting that customer in the end, then you kind of got to get left behind, like, like it or not, it's kind of the reality. But that's how I look at platform engineering in the end is if that's the circumstances you're in, I mean, there's loads of other benefits, but my instinct is most markets are going to get disrupted. I don't think there's really any now, given the breadth of cloud services that aren't up for grabs, and it's more a matter of time than anything else. So I kind of feel like it probably becomes one of the most important aspects as an enterprise is to respond. That's my personal view. Obviously, people could disagree with it, but that's what I kind of witness. <laughs> I feel like I should be disagreeing with you more just for clicks and views. More interesting, yeah. I think the interesting thing you hit on there is that the only unique thing about a small business that you mentioned was that they don't have the same baggage as a large business. Isn't it interesting that's not an IT problem? Yeah, it's definitely not an IT problem, yeah. So I would say that you're absolutely right. I think the benefit of like what we were trying to achieve with DevOps and all these other things and Agile was to make big businesses faster. And when I say faster, I mean the velocity time from I've got an idea, 
about what I want to change in production and I want to get there. Like the one line change is the metric that I use in a lot of businesses. Or the other one is you've just got a brand new developer through the front door. How long until they provide their first pull request to your production Git repository? And those numbers can be frightening, really frightening. Whereas the teams I ran, we took great pride in, congratulations, it's your first day. Like your outcomes are really to know where to get food, where to go to the toilet. Oh, by the way, you're going to need to push to prod. Like it'll be a small change and we'll hold your hand, but you will be pushing to prod today just to get that out of the way. And it just sets you off on the right path. Again, if we think about, and again, I feel really old, but if we think about platform engineering being a broker for IT services, and the reason I feel embarrassed is because I was selling the same message a decade ago saying, well, virtualization was kind of like a broker for compute and storage not so long ago. So it's kind of like the same message we're selling. But now, I think, again, platform engineering is not just on-prem. Platform engineering is how do I make a developer's job easier, irrespective of where they're running? And it is where technology now has helped us. So if you want some really complex, high-end service, like you want to do some voice recognition or a huge machine learning lab that needs to do some massive learning piece. As an IT company, we would have to buy a whole bunch of hardware not so long ago trying to achieve that. Whereas now, like, well, no, no, we'll just get that from a public cloud provider. But we don't want developers going with a credit card. We'd like to make sure that we've got that as part of our service catalog so they can get it easy. Also, we don't want to be enlisting 10 companies to do the same work. We want to have one contract, and that way we can make sure the T's and C's are all correct, et cetera, because it might be customer data that we're shipping into that service in order to do translation, for example. So yeah, I think platform engineering is an opportunity for us to be brokers. So it's not about being anti-public cloud or pro-public cloud. It's just about saying, look, how do we how do we get rid of that treacle that you're having to wade through in your day-to-day job? Get rid of the toil. And I think as IT engineers, we've got an opportunity to kind of prove our value again. And it's not in the depths of Kubernetes. It's about bringing our heads up and talking about selling and marketing our services and being really clear about what we do and what we don't do. It's about changing the way we do customer journeys and customer support. So, you know, I think IT tickets will be here for quite some time for things like production downtime, where you have to have an audit of what happened when. But if somebody just wants advice on how to do something better, then, you know, Slack, Teams, or some kind of chat channels, it's going to be much better than that. So yeah, I think customer is king, no matter who your customer is. I think journey is more important than technology. And everything we do has to be about the people involved in the business, not the stuff we spent years in universities and other companies training in, right? Yeah, I totally agree. So I guess if we were to wrap up a little bit then, I guess two questions for you. One is, if you're thinking about creating a platform team what are maybe the top three to five things that you'd recommend somebody to, I guess, anchor themselves within just to make sure that they're actually going to align themselves to the business properly, like whatever they're going to do, making sure it's always anchored in some value somewhere else. And it isn't just a bit of an educational thing or an engineering exercise for engineers or, you know, oh, the market's saying this, so we should just do it. And it's like, you know, let's get a team together and just do what the market's saying. So to kind of avoid that. And then second, it'll be, how do people find out? So if someone has hit listen to you, how do they find you? You know, they're like, actually, I really want to go and speak to Brian. He knows what he's talking about. It's probably the final one for that. 
Okay, well, that last one sounds like a scenario that's not going to happen, but you know, we'll we'll put it out there anyway. <laughs> so, number one, we've talked about already, you have to engage with your customers. Be customer centric, and that involves the finance part as well. But you need to be part of the value chain, not just an IT service. So, work all your efforts over there. Number two, I would say start small and build up alongside your customers. Do not disappear for nine months to a year building some platform that's going to change the world. Go change the world in a series of small steps. And none of this should be new, right? We've been talking about this for years through Agile and DevOps and everything else. And I think the third is don't get lost in technology. I think as an IT organizations, we need to spend more time marketing what we do, thinking about what we provide, not as a capability, like we can do anything you want with Linux. Instead, think about how you're going to package that up into being some kind of consumable product. Like we will give you a Linux box with a configuration that meets all corporate policies that you can have root access to. And we'll be here 24-7 to support you in whatever you're doing. That's a very different proposition. Make it really easy to consume. So those are the three things. Work with people, start small, build it up, and think about the product that you're selling. And that means, by the way, you'll need to go and research marketing and some boring subjects like that. But when you get into it, I think it'll be really important. As for contacting me, I'd say, obviously, I'd, the sales pitch, obviously, is uh, go to the Tanzu website. There's lots of stuff on there about all these types of challenges. But if you want to reach me personally, you can get me in on Twitter or LinkedIn. You'll find me on most social platforms, either as Brian Ross or Brian Ross UK. But yeah, by all means, reach out. I'm more than happy to talk about this stuff. I've been doing it for a good number of years, and I think it's... We're at a really interesting time. We've got an inflection point to change the way we do things. So now's the time. Yeah, that's great. It's been awesome chatting to you as well and actually just speaking about these complex problems. It's good to kind of make sure that we uh, keep the trends honest without getting too carried away. So it's good to kind of bring them back down to earth a little <laughs> bit and offer advice. But it's great. So I think, you know, obviously reach out to Brian as well. You know, we want the experience of others to kind of help you and guide you. So that's fantastic. But thanks for joining as well and chatting about this. It's been really, really good. Thanks for having me on. Really appreciate it. Cheers. Thank you. Thanks.